Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, let's get this started. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today is episode 92, and we're interviewing Adam W. How are you, Adam? Doing well. It's great to meet you, Jim. It's great to meet you also. Finally, uh, we've been trying to schedule this for about a week now, so I'm happy to have you on the show. So the first question I always ask everybody is, let's start with your childhood. How was it growing up? Oh, uh, well, um, let me answer that with a question, if you don't mind. No, let me let me hear it. Um, can you give me the like the purpose for that question? Well, it's kind of just to get to know you. A lot of people, uh, you know, that leads into addiction. And there's a lot of things that, you know, people had happen in their childhood that might have led to this. So, you know, to get to know you and see what happened as a child, see that anything had to do with addiction. Okay. Yeah. um, Well, I think that uh, typically you'll find that the majority of people... um, in addiction have had a pretty shitty childhood. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, that that's one of the reasons I asked because so many people have so much to say about it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that uh, trauma is the gateway drug. Um, and that, you know, when you really get down to addiction, um, the key I think is understanding where the pain comes from and why the need to medicate that pain. Um, have you ever, have you ever heard of Gabor Mate? Yeah, I'm a big um, follower of his work and yeah, the wisdom. He's, he's great. Yeah. The wisdom of trauma has been very influential in my life as well as Peter Levine, uh, Stephen Porges with polyvagal theory um, these types of influencers and teachers have been a big part of my recovery journey. So um, I think it's important that, um, you know, w- when leading into discussions about recovery, that we are sensitive as far as being trauma-informed, because that, that can be a very triggering question um when when you go right into how was your childhood and sometimes people can get triggered and go into a dissociative state and um not really um know how to respond um in a very embodied way so um yeah i think that um when when you look at my childhood what on the surface um as far as People looking from the outside in would see a happy, stable, healthy home. 
Um, but what I think uh, happens a lot is in in what's called um, let's let's just say like a narcissistic family system um, where secrets uh, keep us sick um, in the in the um, in in the inside of the walls of the home where there's a lot of abuse. Um, there's a lot of, uh, toxicity, um, and a lot of trauma. Um, my mother, uh, was an alcoholic, um, and my father, uh, was not emotionally available, um, you know, just, uh, you know, by being raised by his father, he was, uh, very, um, insensitive, I would say like a stoic type person. I'm the youngest of three boys, um, was raised in a middle-class home um, from the West End of Richmond with all the privilege available um, as a white male growing up in, in, in America. And um, when I was growing up, I did not feel uh, comfortable in my own skin, as a lot of people talk about. Um, you know, and, and I do didn't, you, do you have a, do you think, did you ever contemplate and come to a reason of why you were not comfortable in your own skin? Yeah. Um, I think that I was just different. Um, a lot of people would identify, uh, I have a lot of like autistic traits, um, Asperger's, you know, maybe on the spectrum type thing. I'm not all that interested in a diagnosis. All I know is that I felt and experienced the world different than other people. Okay. Yeah, so um, being able to um, like really have a need for human connection and to feel loved and nurtured and safe um, is critical for a healthy, um, attachment. And I didn't get that. That's, I think that's probably key, a key thing for people, um, in recovery to really understand is that generally a broad stroke, we did not have a healthy, secure attachment. And we weren't loved and nurtured and kept safe in a way where we could really express ourselves with full freedom and authenticity, with vulnerability in the full scope of the human condition. You know, this is the type of environment that's necessary, necessary for people to thrive, to feel loved and accepted. <laughs> Yeah, you know. we're, at the end of the day, no matter what anyone says, we are so, social creatures. We want to, like you said, find a group of people that we fit in with, that understand us, that care about us, that love us. Right. That's very, very important. You know, to be nurtured as a child is a very important thing. Yeah. And when I didn't get, get that connection, I became a master at what's called masking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. To be able to find some kind of way to fit in to society's norms, the way people perceive me and be liked and accepted. 
Yep. Oh, absolutely. That is so. That is something that um, I've done a lot of interviews, and a lot of us addicts, we wear that mask, especially for the family members that we don't want knowing, or maybe our, when we're at work, we don't want our employer knowing that we have all these issues. So we wear the mask of a good person. We have an uh, okay life. We got our shit together. When at the end of the day, our shit's falling apart. Yeah. And so that was absolutely critical for me when I found drugs, because drugs is what gave me that connection. Well, you know, the connection, the openness, the freedom to really be able to navigate through life without having all the fear and the anxiety and the worry if I was fitting in. You know, it was really, you know, they call alcohol a social lubricant, but when I, I, I started drugs at a very early age, when I was 12, um, my uncle introduced me to marijuana, cocaine, alcohol, LSD at a very early age. But by the time I was 18, I found out, you know, I, I played baseball. I was a star in high school and got, got drafted out of high school um, and went to college on a scholarship ended up losing that scholarship through partying, thinking my natural talent was gonna drive me through. Um, lost that scholarship, came home to a mom who was 44 years old dying of cancer. And um, it's very significant for me that today is Mother's Day. And she got sober in AA two years before she passed and had a spiritual awakening through the 12 steps and realized all of this stuff that I'm talking about. As soon as she grew that seed of awareness of what really happened in our family system and started shining a light on this, that is absolutely critical right now for where I am in ending the cycle of violence and trauma and addiction in my family. I'm talking about the generational trauma that's passed down from one addict to the next. And the cycle continues over and over and over again. I have a five-year-old daughter and my whole life is centered around healing this crap. Do you think, because you're talking about generational trauma, I know one of the things that Gabor Mate said was that, like you said, grandparents, they suffer trauma and they transfer that to your parents. They suffer trauma, they transfer it to you. Do you think that you're transferring it to your daughter right now? I have absolutely, <laughs> you know, no kind of like... Uh, spiritual platitude that I'm healed and perfect you know uh, like I, I'm a human being and I know I make mistakes but I think the key is that I have the awareness you know that I'm actually involved in uh, like nurturing heart approach um, nonviolent communication Marshall Rosenberg um, you know I, we homeschool uh, we use wild schooling principles. Uh, we use um, uh, unschooling principles. You know, 
these are things that I've been able to grasp on through my studies, through my healing process in order to break this cycle. So what kind of things are you uh, remembering as far as, well, let me go back to school. How was school for you? Because I know you said that you might be on the spectrum and things like that. Did you have trouble in school? Did you excel in certain areas and not others? So I know that's one of the things that happens a lot. Yeah, well, um, I excelled in school. I was very um, intelligent. Uh, I could get A's and B's with a very little book study. Um, you know, and as uh, partying became more and more important, you know, and um, school became less and less important. Um, what age are we talking about? Uh, right around sophomore, junior, senior year of high school is when um, I really started missing a lot of school. And my GPA suffered, um, you know, and um, yeah, yeah, basically uh, drugs became the most important thing in my life. But I was always, um, you know, pretty well accepted in the social arena of school because of uh, the drugs. So drugs help you bond with other people? Yeah. They gave me the connection and acceptance that I needed. Drugs actually empowered me until I became so disempowered I had to let go. Okay. Do you, now, as far as your friends, did you know if any of them had trauma? Did you happen to gravitate towards one person versus another in your search for connection? Um, well, in, in, in my intimate relationships, that's where, of course, where if you don't address your childhood trauma, it will be addressed in your intimate relationships. Elaborate so, on yeah. that a little bit. Well, I think that we naturally gravitate towards the people that pull us out of the shadows they trigger, they mirror what is unhealed within us. So we basically look at people that can help heal our, heal our wounds. Yes, exactly. Now, this is absolutely uh, important as far as children are concerned. And that's why we pass, I believe, our trauma onto our children because it is our children that reflect back to us what we are uh, missing, the unconscious, what we're lacking, what we're hurting. And that's why we, we harm them. Mm -hmm. Because this is what is, what un is unhealed in us. They, they, they pull out what is unhealed in us. My five-year-old daughter is my greatest guru. Yeah. Absolutely. She's my best teacher. <laughs> no, it, kids are an amazing thing. Kids yeah. are an amazing thing. And, and one of the things you have to love about children is they're honest. Like you ask yeah. them, when you ask them an opinion on something, when I, you know, because obviously all kids lie about little things, 
But if you ask their opinion on something, they don't have any thoughts except what they feel at the moment. Like they're not thinking, well, what are they going to think if I say this? What do they think if I'm going to say that? You know, they're not worried about what people are going to think. They just say what's on their mind. Yeah, they don't have all the conditioning and the programming yet. So they're exactly. very they're very authentic. Exactly. Um, That's a great, great word, authentic. Yeah, and I think that um, really touches on, you know, um, becoming again as a child, you know, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, to use a Christian uh, quote there. But there's something to that. Uh, to reconnect with the innocence of the child. I'm doing a lot of, obviously, inner child work right now. Um, in ACOA, or ACA, they were uh, adult children of alcoholics. Okay. They have a big red book, which is much more trauma-informed. It's much more current. Uh, they talk about reparenting yourself. Yeah the aspect of getting in touch with um, that child who was unsafe and who uh, developed all these survival techniques in order to survive and really going back in your mind and reparenting that parts of yourself that had to fracture in order to um, survive and be safe. And that is, that's through internal family systems work. I don't know if you're familiar with IFS work, but that's a very important piece too. No, explain a little bit about what IFS, what is it? It's called internal family systems work. Okay. Um, they, they work with what's called family constellations, parts work. When we experience trauma in our childhood, our personalities fracture and we be, we, we, we develop these uh, personality traits which help protect us so internal family systems work really helps to separate those parts that each need to be healed and addressed as we walk through life and all the trauma that's happened over a period because not only did I experience trauma in my childhood but I've experienced trauma through my whole life particularly as a result of addiction. Uh, when I was 19, of course, I started getting involved in the criminal justice system. And by the time I was 25, I entered prison for 10 years as a result of an armed robbery of a bank. So uh, in my desperation, uh, you know, out of, you know, uh, this dope sickness where I, I, I had to get well, I went into a bank with a gun and uh, robbed the teller and uh, stole a car, uh, you know, uh, went off on the run to uh, Nashville, Tennessee, got, got arrested out there, flown back to Richmond and got sentenced to 10 years in prison. So you're talking about not only um, not being able to function in the world, but also a criminal justice system that does not understand addiction that does not understand the disease, that, not, that does not wrap you in this uh, uh, blanket of safety and love and understanding and compassion that we need, but throws you into an environment of more trauma and more violence. So what was the age you first started using? Uh, like I said, 12, the alcohol. Oh, that's why you said 12. 
18, 19 is when I was introduced to heroin, and that became my drug of choice for the next 25 years intravenous use. So when you graduated high school, what kind of stuff were you doing after that? I know, so you were doing the heroin. What kind yeah. of thing, did you have a job during all this? Did you do anything as far as, what, like, what were you doing with your life? As far as uh, when I left college, when I got kicked out of college. Yeah. Um, my life became uh, just uh, a series of survival from wet, from one moment to the next, from the next $20 to the next. You know, whatever I had to do in order to get my fix, of course, that's what I did. Um, so most of my life was uh, on the streets, uh, stealing and hustling and um, doing whatever I had to do. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, what kind of what kind of hustles were you doing? Uh, mostly like little petty boost and return shit, you know, s- stealing stuff out of uh, stores and returning it and, you know, whatever. Whatever you needed to do. Yeah, yeah. You know how it is. Oh, yeah. No, I know. I know the feeling. I was a little bit of a self-sufficient alcoholic, a drug addict. So I always kept the jobs. That's how I fueled my addiction. I needed that money to get the next fix. You know? Yeah, I, I tried to keep jobs, of course. And my dad enabled me for a while. He, uh, you know, owned a little construction business. So um, I used him as long as I could until he got tired of it. What kind of stuff did he get tired of when you were working there? What were you doing? Or I guess maybe what weren't you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I was always a pretty good hard worker. You know, I had pretty good worth ethic, but it was, you know, always the the drugs, the needing for money. Uh, You know, um, when I was sick, of course, I couldn't show up to work, you know. Um, So that that, that type of crap. now, this is also something that leads me into another uh, topic I think that's very important is a, a lot of us suffer a deep father wound, okay? Because as a result of my father not being uh, taught how to love and nurture, you know, my father was not available. I don't remember a hug or him telling me he loved me my entire childhood. He was my baseball coach growing up, Little League, you know, but because his father, he he was the result of, um, his mother was a, you know, a prostitute and he didn't get the love he needed. So he didn't understand how to love. His love was transactional. Uh, His love was conditional. Uh, his love was materialistic. You know, he's providing, he's sacrificing everything he can in order to support the boys and the family. And, um, you know, as a result of that, uh, he thinks uh, that's good enough. You know, so um, now, as far as the healing work, um, let me just tell you this. I uh, It was about five, four or five months ago. And um, I was having this experience where I was addressing this deep father wound. 
um, and um, it, I, like it was a very real visceral experience I was having in my body. See, healing work for me is is takes place through the body. It's a somatic experience. Uh, the twelve steps are amazing, um, but a lot of it is just mostly head work. You know how uh, the big book talks about the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Well, that lived experience, that healing process comes through the body. Okay. Trauma is trapped in the body. So if we don't practice some type of somatic experience and healing and meditation, and there's amazing stuff out there now, a lot of this is very new. So, um, so I'm a big proponent of this. Um, so as a result of doing that type of work, getting in touch with the feelings, like I, I, I was in so much pain that I literally couldn't breathe and I was holding on to a tree, you know, um, just trying to keep myself grounded. You know, I was so choked up with tears and pain that I, I almost couldn't breathe. And I held onto this tree and I, and I reached out to a friend and she helped to kind of walk me through it and I was able to let go and then um that that day I reached out to my father it had been years since we had even talked and I texted him I said dad you know I miss you and I'd like to meet for breakfast if you're open to it and he said um give it give it a few more years <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh yeah. god yeah. Uh, so, um, so, so obviously your relationship with him wasn't the best at that time. Well, yeah, this is just a few months ago. So, yeah. he, so he's still trying to play that tough love angle, you see, and this is a trauma response. You know, he's trying to keep himself self safe because I've obviously hurt him a lot. You know, when you steal from your father, you know, that is obviously a very big hurt. Yeah. And it pain. Yeah. And if you don't know how to walk through that and process that, you, it, you can really hold on to it and continue to poison yourself. So now he's sitting in this huge uh, mansion in this affluent neighborhood, a million dollar house. Uh, he owns 20 rental properties and absolutely miserable and alone. You know. So um, what all, all I can do is, is plant seeds, you know, I can plant these little seeds. I, 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 can, I can put little, you know, effort, little uh, spurts of light out there and, and hopefully these seeds will grow and one day they will bloom into something beautiful. Yeah, now he's 70 years old. So time is of the essence. <laughs> I'm hoping that these yeah. things sprout pretty soon and that way when he leaves his body i can be there for him and allow him to pass with very little regret yeah yeah my mother when i when i got home um from college when i got kicked out and i got home and she she was dying of cancer you know, I I, ne I never saw somebody die in so much pain with so much peace. And so she planted the seed for me. You know, she was in hospice 
in in home in her deathbed and i was going into the refrigerator and pulling up her morphine medication and shooting up that in the morning and when she, my father came down and told me to come say goodbye to your mom i went up there and kissed her on the forehead and she, her body was cold and stiff by then and i walked into the bathroom and i looked in the mirror and i said can you cuss on this pod is it okay to cuss oh yeah yeah so i looked in the mirror and i said cry motherfucker cry why aren't you crying like I, I couldn't even feel the sadness that i was supposed to feel watching my mother die i'm the baby of three boys you know i was overly loved by my mother and underly loved by my father and i just could not feel the pain and you that's know why how, that was yeah of course that's how numbed out i was with Heroin's the greatest painkiller known to man. Yeah. So now in recovery, you know, and trying to heal and not pass on this trauma, I have, I have got to get in touch with those feelings and walk through those emotions and that pain and grieve. Grieving is a huge healing process and critical for recovery. It's not... A lot of us feel shame around grieving, I think, too. You know, we're, we're raised, especially particularly men, you know, not to cry. You know, you, that's what my dad used to say, suck it up, you know, be yep. a man. That type of toxic masculinity bullshit. And I, I, I was talking to a good friend of mine um, who's a depth psychologist and, I mean, Holly... I guess I could plug his name. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, David Bedrick. He's really good um, for healing work. So I said, David, like, when is the onion not an onion anymore? Like, I keep peeling back all of these layers and I just keep finding more and more. And he said, well, you know, I guess when all the tears are gone, never. It's a great response. Yeah. It's seeds of truth like that, that really just keep me inspired each day to keep moving forward. And a good friend of mine last night, we were having a very in-depth discussion about homophobia as a result of the sexual trauma I experienced as a child through a uh, male relative, you know, at the tender age of 10, 11 years old. You know, now I have this phobia of um, gay people. You know, I like I, I can't get rid of it. You know, I, I have this triggered response where get away from me. I don't like you. You're not a safe person. You know, so I have to work through that stuff, too. And it's a conditioned response. Exactly. So, you know, th these are the types of things that... Uh, I'm working through that I need to be aware of if if I want to be a healthy person that can engage in healthy relationships and be a positive force of recovery there are a lot of people 
in the rooms that are not healthy because they haven't addressed the problem. It's all, you know, it's all a head game. I played that head game for years. Uh, it started in 2012 when I had my spiritual awakening with my sponsor who worked with me through the big book. You know, I got all the jargon down, memorized the big book. As an autistic person, I get hyper-focused on stuff and, you know, I get fixated on recovery and I eat it and drink it and breathe it 24 hours straight, listen to the thousands of speakers and talkers and spiritual teachers and read all the books I can. And I become this master talker of spirituality, but it means nothing because I haven't really done the work. Yeah. Pretty much the point you're saying is there's two different things that's separate recovering and actually going into a spiritual recovery as well. Because getting sober doesn't mean that you're addressing the problem. Right. That does not mean some people think, oh, I'm sober. I took care of all my problems. No, you took care of the one problem, which was substance abuse or compulsion. If you're like a gambler or sex addict, and you're compulsive acts. But stopping those and stopping drugs and alcohol does not mean you're better in any way, yeah. shape or form. Yeah, let's frame it this way. Drugs, obviously, and alcohol, whatever you was the solution to my problem, right? Mm -hmm. The solution, you know, I needed connection. I needed acceptance. I needed power. That's what drugs and alcohol gave me. That was my solution. You take away that solution. What are you left with? Yourself. What, what, what do you have to stand on? Nothing but yourself. Nothing. You've got nothing to stand on but your ideas, all your programming and all your conditioning and all your unhealed trauma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the critical question is where am I on my spiritual journey? Where have I been and where am I going? And the answers aren't as important as the energy which drives the questions themselves. To always be a seeker, to always continuously um, unfold and discover on the crest of way of God's creation, you know, what healing and presence is. Like, I, I like there. There is no other purpose, as far as in, in my and my body and heart and soul, than to discover this truth that uh, we are we are here to. This is what the this is what the twelve steps did for me. Okay. The 12 steps pointed me in what I needed. Does that make sense? That's all the 12 steps did for me. They point me to what I need and a healthy connection and solution to that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I'm sure that that's 
well, the whole point was to bring you to a certain endpoint where it's focusing your energy, saying if you keep focusing it on this way in this path, you know your endpoint is sobriety. So it's kind—I of, mean, kind of sounds like your compass was off, and this helped define true north. Yeah, the yeah the twelve steps. You know, that, mm-hmm. when you listen to Doctor Bob. He says that, you know, it it comes down to two words. He can sum it up, love and service. So it's about, you know, first of all, love, the concept of love. Because you can't really be in selfless service without coming from the heart. So first of all, how do I get in touch with my heart? How do I heal all this pain in my heart? You know, that that's the first question, the vital question. And, and take that medicine, take, take that pain and that suffering and transform it into grace by getting in touch with the healing work that needs to take place. That, 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 that was probably my biggest lesson over the last uh, month or so is that all of the suffering has really been grace. Because the medicine is in the wound. Have you ever heard of the term the wounded healer? No, no, I have not. Okay. Uh, Matt Licata unbelievable healer, psycho, uh, depth psychologist, Jeff Brown, amazing work. I'm talking about embodied, healed men with uh, with the wisdom and the ability to be a container to hold safe space for men, to be a healthy, positive, masculine force in the world, not patriarchal, misogynistic, toxic masculinity. But somebody that is safe, that it can can embrace and balance with the feminine that the world so desperately needs on Mother's Day. Mother Earth. Look at what we're doing to Mother Earth. (laughs) Our Our own mother. We're desecrating and raping her because of the patriarchal toxic masculinity. So what are you doing nowadays to keep sober? What is your plan of attack? What do you do as far as your daily routine? Well, um, you know, I'm in a recovery house. Um, so I have support and structure. You know, I have a sponsor that I talk to. I have a support network. I go to meetings. I have a home group. I do all those things. But I also do a tremendous amount of healing work that I've been talking about and advocating for. You know, um, I, I, right now I, I'm passionate about, uh, there's a, a project called Compassionate Prison Project where they go into prisons and they hold circles of safe space 
for convicts to come forward and tell their stories and open their hearts. Um, these are the type of the things that I'm passionate about. Um, I also, uh, very important for me to really be able to live in my gifts and express my creativity. Uh, I do that through music, through writing, um, you know, dancing, all kinds of stuff. It's good to have hobbies when you're, especially when you're first sober, because I know for me, I was actually just talking about this in my last episode where I didn't know what I was going to do without drugs. Like when I went to rehab, I said, when you get out, what are you going to do? Because you did everything higher drunk for the past 20 years. You know, yeah. that was a thought that I had that was like, what the hell am I going to do? So I, I also do what you did. I, this is a major thing for me as far as hobby and staying busy. This is a major thing for me. Yeah. You're also bringing up a good point for me to, to address is that a lot of what I'm saying, of course, is like recovery 2.0. You know, when you when you first get into recovery, all, all those basic simple needs, of course, have to be met. You know, of course, number one, don't pick up. Of course, if I could have done that, <laughs> you know, I would have done that a long time ago. <laughs> I've always hated that. Don't use no matter what. I use no matter what. How exactly. the hell am I? Yeah. So, you know, I hate that advice. But as far as getting involved in meetings, 90 and 90 um, or 180 and 90, whatever you got to do in order to not use and whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. Hold on to that and hold on and, and throw yourself into uh the herd you know the pack like i i look at it as like um you know when you watch those uh wild animal kingdom like national geographic and you see the lions and they run up on the gazelles and if, of course it's always the one that falls off the pack that the lion attacks and gets yeah yeah typically it's the one that can't run the fastest or is hurt a little bit or something so the ones that are in the middle of that pack are safe. You know, that the ones that stay with the herd. And I look at recovery a lot like that. You know, surround yourself with good, positive, recovering people. Um, you, you need, you really need to get a level of discernment as far as a lot of it is like very, you feel it in your gut, you know, when you meet somebody, whether that spark of light is in their eye you know that are really talking the talk and living the deal and these are the type of people that i try to gravitate towards well that's the fourth pillar in our program we have four pillars that is our foundation the fourth one is community yeah community is huge you know and that's mm -hmm. what i've been that's what i've been seeking my whole life is safe community Community equals connection, and connection is the opposite of addiction. I like that. It's a good saying. Yeah. So again, towards the end here, what advice would you have for people listening and watching? Oh, uh, 
I don't know if I want to give any advice. I, you know, I, I have my experience and my experience, my strength and my hope. My experience has been that uh, life was really painful and tough. And I was raised by misinformed people. You know, the, te the basic text says that. We were raised by misinformed people. <laughs> and there's something deep within my makeup that cries out for chaos and confusion. You know, and I have to understand why. Why do it? Why am I medicating this pain? Where is this pain coming from? You know, so when I get into recovery and I get into step work, that 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 I believe is is probably the best question that fuels the passion of, you know, the flame of recovery and my spirit is why the pain and how to heal it you know how do i process and walk through this stuff and become a whole authentic vulnerable you know human being that feels safe in a world and accepted that i never did before without drugs without having to douse myself in chemicals you know and um one thing at a time you know it's a, it's a process, you know, recovery is a process, 10, 11, and 12, continue, improve, practice, continue to take personal inventory, sought through prayer, I, I would, I would actually kink the 11th step a little bit, because we're in 2022, sought through embodied prayer, and meditation, really getting in touch with the body and the trauma that's trapped and stored in there. That's what keeps us trapped in the past. And as you begin to heal this stuff, what it does is it rockets you into the present moment. And they talk about the fourth dimension. I'm talking about the fifth dimension, okay? I'm talking about living fully embodied present and aware not Eckhart Tolle's power of now <laughs> you know that's that's a lot of spiritual platitudes in the mind I'm talking about deep deep human connection through the body of feelings and emotions getting in touch with that and walking through and healing those parts then you I am a true loving force in this world. And I can be of maximum service because you can't give away something you ain't got. So if you got a sponsor that's walking you through these 12 steps, be careful and make sure that they've done the work and that they are a living example of recovery, of true recovery, you know. Yeah, it's important. If you're gonna if you're gonna have someone, I don't want to say lead the way, but help guide you in a, a certain direction, you got to make sure they're on point with what they're doing. Yeah, and it's uh, sometimes it's hard to find, and I understand, but um, the fact that we have social media now and everybody's connected, 
you know, which of course can be a, an addiction in and of itself, which of course it's, you know, it's designed that way. Um, but uh, it does give us a platform to connect with uh, some good people. I've connected with some amazing people all around the world who are living examples of what recovery and healing work can do. Yeah, Addicts Anonymous is a, it's for now all virtual. We, we are working on some in-person meetings up in Manitoba, but um, everything's virtual and I've met some great people. You know, I have people that run my group with me that I've never met in person, but I trust them. You know, when we become yeah. a 501c3 nonprofit, I'm going to need board members and they're most likely going to be it. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing the technology where if you need something, there is usually something available. Yeah. Yep. And it's really beginning to um, spread the message, um, you know, that. Uh, the world really needs right now um that we don't have to keep living this way <laughs> you know we can break the cycle it, it's happening like i can feel it i see it you know i'm experiencing it and i'm connecting with a lot of brothers and sisters that are experiencing the same thing and i'm really grateful for for this platform and the opportunity to get the message out there and just to share my experience, strength and hope. Hopefully it can be a seed for somebody else. No, this has been a great interview and I certainly think this will be. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So did you have anything else at all that you wanted to add? No, I think I'm out of words. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're out of words. All right. Sounds good. So. For everyone watching, if you like what you heard and saw, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe so you can see when more videos get uploaded. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Facebook. Check us out there. And that's all we have for today. So until next time.